Take your Bibles, Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. If you turn over there with me this morning, we will jump into uh, our message here for today. A message uh, that will set uh, really uh, our theme for 2022. And we've got some things that we'll hand out at the end of the service here this morning that give us some action points and some things to pray for. I also want to encourage you to be a part of the service tonight. We kicked off a new series called Building God's Way on Sunday nights. And we kicked it off last week. I want to encourage you to be back uh, tonight again. We'll share more about our vision, maybe look at a few things that touch more specifically, uh, and then take time to uh, teach or preach through that second uh, message of the series. Romans chapter number 12, we're going to read uh, from verse 3 down to verse number 16. And uh, I brought my water. And how many got to go outside and play in the snow? And uh, a little bit. That was fun. Build a snowman. Anybody build a snowman uh, out there? There wasn't enough snow for that. And uh, it was too cold for that. Love this time of year, getting cold and wet and then affecting your voice. But it'll be all right. Romans chapter 12. Would you look there with me at verse number 3? For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy... Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, vervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse number 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Let's bow our heads toward a prayer. Father, we thank you for vision. We thank you for the privilege it is to be able to hear from you and for you to guide our hearts and our minds on a specific course on a specific pathway. And Lord, I do pray now that you would meet with us in a special way. I would not be preaching on this subject if I was not confident that you spoke to my heart about this particular matter. I would not be kicking off this theme, Father, if I wasn't for sure that this came from you and I believe it's what you have for us to focus on here this next year. And so, God, I pray that you would meet us this morning as you met with me in private and as you spoke to my heart about this theme. 
Father, I pray that you'd speak to all of our hearts. And would you bring us together, Father, with this one common vision, this one common goal and dream for the new year. We do recognize that we need to hear from you. Lord, except you do something, whatever we do is vain. And so please help us, we pray. I pray if there's one again that does not know your son Jesus as their Savior, that today they would get saved. And Father, for each one of us as church members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would you encourage us? Would you help us? Would you push us all in the same direction? And we'll be sure to thank you and praise you for in the name of your son Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. We have a wonderful opportunity to call ourselves a church. A called out assembly. A group of believers meeting together for the same common purpose. The church is not these buildings. It is the people. It's not this particular room, but it's the people who sit in the room here this morning. One day, the Lord might have us move this property, but that, that would not change the fact that we're a church. One day, the Lord might move us to change the name on the sign to something else, Baptist Church, but that would not change the fact that we are a church. Like some of my friends in Canada, the government one day might say that we can't meet in this building and might put chains on the outside of the door. But that doesn't stop the fact that you and I together as God's people are a church. It doesn't change who we are. I believe every Christian needs a church. Every Christian has a church in which they are to attend, a group of people that they are supposed to fellowship with, break bread with, and pray together with. You see, if you and I have done things the right way, you are here today because it pleased God for you to be here today. If we have done things right, you are a member of Shawnee Baptist Church this morning because it pleased God to make you a member of Shawnee Baptist Church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 18 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. What a powerful truth. You know, if you're a Sunday school teacher here today, it's because it pleased God to put you in that spot. If you're a deacon here this morning, it pleased God to have you in that position for this time. If you were a nursery worker this morning in Sunday school, it pleased God to have you in that spot. If you're a member of Shawnee Baptist Church, it pleased God. God hath literally, at his pleasure, placed you in this body together. And so that begs us to ask a question. If God has placed people in the church as he saw fit, why can the church be so dysfunctional at times? You know what I mean? I mean, if, if any church, not, not just Shawnee Baptist Church, but any church, if the members are placed in the body by God as it hath pleased him, why so much dysfunction? People not getting along. 
not paying attention to each other, judging one another, jockeying for position within the church. People inside a church feeling lonely or left out, people feeling neglected. People's experience that they don't have a real friend there. I mean, think about it. If God really placed a church, any church, together as it pleased Him, then why all of these things? Why the dysfunction? Oh, quickly, let me give you three reasons for this dysfunction. First of all, we're all a bunch of sinners. And it starts with the guy who's wearing these shoes up here. Why such dysfunction within a church? Because let's be honest, we're dysfunctional at times. We are imperfect people. And any time you bring a group of imperfect people together, what do you get? Imperfection. And so it's no... It's no uh, laughing matter to us necessarily that we would find dysfunction in any church. Why? Because we're, we're made up of sinners. I've heard people say to me, Pastor Steve, you, you would not believe what happened to me at church. I actually do. I do. I'm not surprised anymore. Why? Because dysfunctional people make a dysfunctional church. A dysfunctional pastor at times makes a dysfunctional church. So why the dysfunction? Well, because we're dysfunctional, we're sinners. Second of all, because many are dealing with dysfunctional homes. Or they've learned how to build relationships within dysfunctional homes. You see, the dysfunction of homes spill over to make a church dysfunctional. Averted. I said, well, you know, I've got a problem with so-and-so, and I'm just ignoring them. Because that works, right? <laughs> because that helps. Well, well, that's what my parents did, or that's what my siblings have done. Exactly. Dysfunctional relationships outside of the church happen to breed dysfunctional relationships inside of the church. We have a dysfunctional nation, don't we? You know where you get a dysfunctional nation? Dysfunctional states. You know where you get dysfunctional states? Dysfunctional cities. You know where dysfunctional cities come from? I'll tell you. Dysfunctional churches. You know where dysfunctional churches come from? Dysfunctional families. I've heard it said if there would be less dysfunction in our homes... If we would pattern ourselves as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers to live for the Lord and produce a functional home, that that functional home would breed to a functional church, which would in return build some functional cities, which in return would give us some functional states that just might produce a functional nation. But you know the problem goes back to? our homes, and the dysfunction that takes place in our homes tends to breed over into relationships here at church. So why, why can a church be dysfunctional? And don't look at me like I'm crazy this morning. You know what I'm talking about. Because we're sinners, 
because we can bring dysfunction from our homes into the church place. But there's a third reason I believe this morning. Why the dysfunction in the church? Because we don't know who we are. Or we're not applying what God says about how we're supposed to interact with each other. We don't know what God says that we together should be. Or we know what God says that we should do as a church, but we're not living it, we're not putting it into practice. You see, you might be here today, you might be worshiping with us this morning thinking, man, I showed up. That's enough. I mean, right? I got to check that box off. I attended church. Woo! I'll see you next Sunday morning. You know, most, most people who attend a church feel like if they're just there at church that they've done their part. That if they're just present in body and spirit or just at least one of them, that they have checked that box and, whew, I have been the church. But do you know what that really is? That is people not understanding what God has said about how you and I are to do church. That's us not understanding what God asked of you and I to bring to church when we come together. And because we don't know what God says about how we are supposed to function together and, and be for one another, often it breeds and brings dysfunction in the church. Could it be that we don't have to be dysfunctional? Could it be that God has given us a roadmap of not only how to get to heaven, but how to function as a church until we get there? Could it be that in the Word of God we have all that's necessary to build strong, healthy relationships inside the church and to put it into practice what God has given us in His Word? And that's where Romans chapter 12 comes in for us this morning. The book of Romans is extremely rich. The first eight chapters are doctrinal. The next three chapters are dispensational. They primarily deal with the nation of Israel. And then the last five chapters of the book of Romans, I love this, are practical. We love practical around here. If you split the sections, the, the first and the last section of Romans together, you would see in the first section Paul talks about Christian character, but in the second section he talks about Christian conduct. In the first section he deals with the inner man. In the second section, he deals with the outer man or the actions of man. The first section, the condition of a Christian. The second section, the consecration or the walk of a Christian. The first section, the privileges of grace. And boy, is there wonderful privileges that you and I have in grace. But the second section, the practical section, are precepts of grace. The first section, the first eight chapters of Romans would tell us who a Christian is. But the second section of the book of Romans, the last section of the book of Romans, tells us what a Christian should do. Paul addresses the Christian in this part of Romans 
And it's now getting extremely practical. There in verse number one and two, he talks about our relationship with God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, wouldn't it be incredible this morning if your mind and my mind was transformed to think and to do the will of God? Wouldn't that be incredible? If as a husband and as a father and as a pastor, I was not conformed or patterned after this world, but I was transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, only doing what God would consider to be perfect and in his will. Woohoo, man, wouldn't that be wonderful for our homes and for this church? See, the first section in Romans chapter 12, Paul deals with our relationship with God. But in the second section, he's going to begin to talk about our relationship with each other. First, he reminds us where these instructions come from. Look back with me at our text at verse number 3. For I say, Paul says, through the grace given unto me. You see, if these were Paul's words, just the Apostle Paul's words, they'd be good to take to heart. But these are God's words. And so it's good not only for us to take it to heart, but it's good to act upon what we've heard. You, you don't do something because I said it. You do something because you looked at the word of God and God said to do it. And Paul wants to start this section about dealing with others, our relationship with one another. And he says, what I'm giving you is from the grace that has been given unto me. 100 pianos, all tuned to the same tuning fork are inherently in tune with one another. And such is the case with the church. 100 church members all tuned to the same instrument are going to be tuned to each other. 100 members all unified around the same purpose as individuals are also going to be in unity together. And Paul says, you and I have a great unifier of the church. We have the word of God. And if you are in tune and I am in tune and we are in tune to the word of God, then guess what? You and I are going to be in tune with one another. Paul says, first of all, I just want to tell you where these words come from. They're, they come from the grace that's been given me. Second of all, Paul warns us of our biggest problem. Look what he says. Verse number three, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You see, it's rather simple. The reason we have a hard time in relationships, whether in church or out of church, is the same word. Pride. Pride. 
Pride causes you and I to have an elevated position of ourselves and a low or an inferior position or estimation of everyone else. I read the story yesterday of a young man who had been tired to work at a large supermarket chain. On his first day of work, he reported to the manager of one of the stores. The manager greeted him with a warm handshake and a smile, handed him a broom, and said, your first job here will be to sweep out the store. Upset at being assigned with what he considered to be such a menial job, the young man replied, but I am a college graduate. Oh, I'm sorry, replied the manager. I didn't know that. Here, give me the broom. I'll show you how. (laughs) Where do our problems stem from? A higher elevation of ourselves. Any problem when we think more of ourselves than what we should. You see, in striking clarity and simplicity, Scripture says this, only by pride cometh contention. What a powerful word. Only by pride. Only. Well, but Pastor Steve, I mean, there's a lot of other things that cause contention in my marriage. Only by pride come a contention. Well, I've got contention between me and one of my sons or daughters, and I'm just telling you, Pastor Steve, it's a lot more than pride. I didn't say it. Only by pride cometh contention. Every problem this morning between husband and wife, between parent and child, between employee or employer, between neighbors or church members or friends, all flow from the exact same spot. Pride. An elevated position or concern for oneself. Now, now sometimes that pride is one-sided. Sometimes that pride is on both sides. But it's pride nonetheless. And when you and I get filled with ourselves, it puts a strain on our other relationships, including our relationships with one another. And so what is the solution? Well, well, Paul helps us. Look back with me at verse number three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. That word Soberly literally means in the right mind or seriously, to have the right thinking. Paul says, instead of us having an elevated position of ourselves or thinking higher than we ought to think, we need to have the right mind about ourselves. The right mind to think seriously about one another. So what is that right way of thinking? That anything that we have or that we are or have is from God and therefore on the same plane as everyone else. Let me say that again, that, that everything that you and I are as individuals or that we have as individuals is from God. And so therefore every single one of us are on the same plane. 
The rich man may glory in his riches, but those riches came from God. The gifted man may glory in his gifts, but those gifts came from God. The strong man may glory in his strength, but that strength came from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning of his own will begot us by the word of truth that we should be the kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Every single thing that you possess and that I possess did not come from us. Oh, well, Pastor Steve, what about my hard work? God gave you the ability to work hard. Well, what about my intelligent mind? God gave you that intelligent mind. What about my family heritage and, and what I was given by my parents? God saw fit to put you in that family and in that position. And so therefore, you and I need to have the same mind about the matter. He says, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Not one of us would be in the position we are in today without God's grace and measure of faith in our life. And when we think the right way, we are able to keep ourselves from acting in pride and we're therefore able to keep some of the contention or the dysfunction out of our lives. What does Paul say through the Holy Spirit next? Look at verse number four. We said, first of all, we're reminded where these instructions come from, that they come from God. Second of all, that we have a big problem at times. And that problem, our biggest problem, is pride. Third of all, we have a solution there. That solution is for us to think right. To recognize that anything that we have and anything that we are had nothing to do with us, but had everything to do with God. There's a fourth thing that Paul wants to encourage us. Look at verse number four. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Don't miss this. Number four, you and I are to be in unity together. As a church, as members within the church, you and I are to be in unity together. Paul says that we have different gifts, different offices, different personalities. Aren't you glad that we're not all copycat, that we're all just a little bit different, some a little bit more different than others? Aren't you glad that we're different, though? Paul says we've been given different gifts, different offices, different personalities, different jobs, different measures of faith, but God has placed us together for one another. We have a unique opportunity and have been uniquely equipped by God to be together as a church. Let's be honest, sometimes we forget that the church is not about us, but it's about each other. You know what I mean? It creeps in. We're not always guilty of it, but sometimes we come and as long as I get my pew and as long as pastor doesn't go too long and as long as things are picked up and look nice and as long as my teacher gives me 
something I can walk away with, and whew, we're all right. And the whole mentality of our worship and our Sunday experience became about what we can get from it instead of about what we can give to it. And we're not here together just for us. We're here together for each other. Have you ever stopped to consider that you are an incomplete Christian without the church? You see, without a church, you don't have a place to minister the faith that God has given you. Without a church, you don't have a a spot in the body to, to put into practice the gifts and the abilities and blessings of God. Look at verse number six of our text. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy <coughs> with cheerfulness. You see, unity is not just getting along. Unity is all of us coming together and using the gifts that God has given each one of us for Him and for one another. You cannot be all God created you to be without each other. What does that unity look like? How do we keep that unity? How, do, how are we supposed to function as a church or we might say it this way, how do we cut down on that dysfunction? Paul gives us a roadmap from the Holy Spirit, some action points to function as a church. Look with me again at verse number 9. Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. Remember, these are all practical. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Every single one of those things that we just Red were the Holy Spirit's instructions to each one of us as members about how to function together. How to interact with one another. What would a church like, look like? What would a church be like if every member lived what Paul just talked about? If, if everyone loved without being fake. If everyone hated evil, if everyone clung and held on to only that which is good, if everyone was kind to one another, if everyone preferred one another above themselves, think with me. Imagine what that would look like. If everyone in the church worked hard, 
earnestly serve the Lord with a great spirit. Rejoiced in hope. Was patient when things weren't going right. Always prayed. Strived to help those within the congregation who were in need. Were great hosts given to hospitality. Gave a blessing to the person that had a problem with them. They had contention with them. What would a church look like if everyone celebrated each other's victories or grieved when everyone else was grieving and everyone together, every member, all desired the same thing? What would that look like? That would be a church in unity a church that acted and looked a lot like the one we serve, Jesus Christ. Last year, we announced our theme, Follow Jesus. So throughout the year, on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, we stayed in the red letters in our Bibles. I think... I preached 130-something messages, late 30s, all from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we as God's people sat down each one of those services, and we listened to Christ, just like the disciples would have heard and the things that we, they would have been taught. We, we were taught those things. And we were motivated and provoked to be better followers of Jesus. To be better disciples. So let me ask you this morning. How does the world around us know that we're followers of Jesus? How do those who walk into Shawnee Baptist Church for the first time and they spend a Sunday with us how do they know that we are disciples of Christ would they look at the way we dress would they look at our style of worship Would they have to take time to judge what translation of the Bible we were using? How, how would they know if we're followers of Jesus, that we're disciples of Christ? Would they have to take some time and listen to our message? Would they have to spend a little bit of, uh, a few moments looking at the organization of things or the cleanliness of things? Would they have to here are our plans to find out if we're disciples of Jesus Christ. How does the world around us know that we're followers of his? Would, would they judge that by our ministries? Would they see the buses in the parking lot? Or the work that's done Friday at the food bank? What would be the measuring stick to find out if we were really followers of Christ or not. 
what would be the measuring stick, the, the litmus test to find out if you and I were disciples? What are they supposed to look at? It's a wonderful question for us to consider. And it's a question that Jesus himself answers for you and I. I want you to look this morning at John chapter 13. Jesus answers the question of what the world is supposed to look at. Jesus answers here in John 13 the, the question of how does the world around us really know that we're disciples of his? Look at verse number 34. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, he sets the parameters, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then look what he says in verse number 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Jesus says the way the world finds out that we're followers of his The way that people visiting ought to find out if we're disciples of his is by the way that you and I interact with one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus says the way that we, the church, interact with each other, our love for one another is how the world around us knows that we're true followers of his. And after spending a year on following Jesus, I believe God wants us to take a moment and help us refocus on each other. Press pause and refocus on our relationships within the church and how we interact with one another. And so the, the theme for this year is, is just simply that, one another. Enough dysfunction and disunity, it's about each other. It's about one another. And God gives, whether we know it and have it practiced or we don't know it, God gives us a book full of how we're to be members one of another. God gives us scripture after scripture on what it means to be the church. What it means to love one another. What it means to serve one another. What it means to care for one another. What it means to use our gifts to help one another. And this year, I believe God would have us do just that. To focus on our relationships within the church. To focus 
on our duty to one another. Pastor, why, why this theme? What, what are you hoping for the Lord to accomplish in our lives? What, what do we want to see God do this year inside our church? Well, first of all, I'm praying that we would understand how important the other members of our church are in the mission of the church. Second of all, I pray that we'd understand who the other members of the church really are. Third of all, I pray that we'd understand how we're supposed to function together. What is church supposed to look like? Is church just coming? Sitting in a pew and checking off that box of attendance? Or is there more for me here at Shawnee Baptist Church? Fourth of all, to understand our responsibility to each other. And then lastly, to act on these things that we understand. We'll, we'll call them action points. The world around us is going to be able to tell if we're true followers of Jesus, not by what we wear or our style of worship, not by our ministries and the list of them, not even about the work that we do in the community. The outside world finds out if we're real followers of Jesus about how we interact with one another. And may we take this year to really focus on that. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege this morning to lay a foundation. And I pray that you would stir us to be who you called us to be as a church, as individuals of the church, to recognize how important one another is. Even in my short time of studying this particular theme, Father, you've spoken to my heart that even as pastor, I'm not always what I should be for the church. That there's some one another's that I need to be reminded of that I've failed to neglect. So God, I do pray that you'd help me first to be challenged by these one another's and to prove my fellowship of you by the way I personally interact with the church. God, it's my prayer that that would be the decision for each one of us. That you would use this year to help us refocus, to help us come back to your word about who we are and what we are as a church. And we'll thank you and praise you for the work that your Holy Spirit does in our lives.